Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo. Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español. Marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Ascast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, hello to you. Hello to you too. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I mean, we are recording almost immediately after the game. I'm watching a bit of the uh, the Real Madrid-Barcelona game here. Oh, Suarez, what are you doing there? Anyway, look, the point I'm trying to make is that normally we record, at least with a bit of distance between the final whistle and... Uh, the time that we sit down behind our microphones, which, which gives us kind of a chance to to watch things again, to mm. calm down if we need to calm down, to to put across some considered opinions without the the emotion of the result and the performance coursing through our veins. So this this is going to be our most hysterical podcast ever. Is that Let's what we're saying? Kill Mustafi! <laughs> kill him! Kill him to death! Burn him! Oh, okay. No, I'm just just in case people take umbrage at anything we might say. It could be just because emotions are running a little bit high. At I think which it's po- a good go disclaimer to put on things at I, the front, you know. And I that think way. So. Now it's a free-for-all. Now we can say whatever we want. We can say, kill him. Exactly. It's a bit because like going... Up, them. Yeah, we have. It's like going up to someone and saying, I could possibly punch you in the face uh, just before you punch them in the face. Not that I would punch anyone in the face, but you have warned them, so it doesn't make it right. I'm just saying that, you know, at least there, there was that warning there. Exactly. I think we've done the right thing there. Yeah. So on with that, what is your... Given this is an, uh, an opportunity to get your immediate emotional response to the game, what is your immediate emotional response to the game? It is that we were bad today. Mm. That's my gut feeling, and it's also what I saw with my eyes, is that we were bad. And I think there's a there's obviously a bad side to being bad, in that you're bad. But... Sure. But I think we've watched this kind of game... A number of times, perhaps many times, dozens, scores. What's another nice word for a, loads, a large... Loads. 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 loads yeah. A shitload of times. And we've seen Arsenal come away from these games with nothing. So if I'm looking for the positive from today, it's that we were bad but still got something from the game. That's my, that's my clinging on to the positive thing. Yeah, it's fair to say, isn't it, that, you know, in the past we probably would have lost this game. Or it feels like that, anyway. Um, And nevertheless, having come from behind to be in front, you know, I think as Arsenal playing Crystal Palace, we should expect to see that out. You know, know, it's disappointing. It's two points dropped. 
It certainly is. Um, I think after we scored our second goal, we had literally no control over the game at all. No. We, None yeah, I mean, we we've spoken before, haven't we, about how we've scored in flurries and how that seems to affect the opposition. Right, so all of a sudden, Arsenal, uh, having been not necessarily out of the game, but from behind, perhaps we've come from behind and scored goals as, uh, in second halves before. It seems to change the momentum and the dynamic of the game and the the uh, the way that the opposition uh, react to the way that we go ahead is usually I'm not going to say negative, but it's it's a positive for us, right? But today, after we scored that second goal, and it was like just a, a hair's width over the line, if you looked at the, the graphic that they showed on Sky Sports, we didn't take any control of the game from there. And that was really disappointing for me. Yeah, it looked like it was going to be the sort of classic Emery story of bad first half, good second half. But, you know, I think those goals came within the space of, you know, 10 minutes or so of each other. And then after that point, we reverted back to bad, really. I mean... Credit to Crystal Palace, you know, they, unlike Leicester, you know, they didn't sort of collapse under that uh, under that strain. They responded really mm. well, but we uh, were not able to exert any control on the game no. whatsoever. Uh, and we were under quite substantial pressure, really, for the last, I mean, it felt like the last 25 minutes or so of the game. I, uh, what's quite frustrating in some ways is that we actually stood up to that relatively well until... The, the, the equaliser. Yeah. The the goals came within four minutes of each other, by the right. way, just so you know, 52nd minute and then 56th minute. So we will touch on the goals in a few minutes' time. You know, I, we, we've spoken about Unai Emery getting his substitutions right and being brave with his substitutions and everything else. I'm not sure he got them right today either. But let's perhaps go back to the start and start mm. with the uh, start with the the team selection were there any surprises in there for you i, I mean, mean obviously no left back is a thing yeah uh, I, you know i was hoping that we'd have Monreal or, or Kolasinac available and, and with Ainsley Maitland-Niles back in training I also thought there was maybe an outside chance that he would be I think he played didn't he play for the under 23s the other night right. so they might be easing him back in yeah that would make sense i mean he's been out a long time but uh, so yeah that was um you know, obviously a bit of a concern seeing Shaka at left back because a lot of Palace's good play comes down the flanks with Townsend and, and Zaha. Um, and then I suppose looking at centre of defence, I was a, you know, I, I'm continually, I can't guess the centre back pairing anymore. No. Uh, but it seems like Rob Holding is the permanent fixture. He's the guy who is getting picked game after game after game with Socrates and Mustafi rotating. I wonder if he's. You know, Emery, like all of us, has looked at Socrates and Mustafi and said, well, they're kind of not an ideal partnership. Well, yeah, I mean, Mustafi and anyone goes together like toothpaste and orange juice. Sure. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, look, Socrates played the other night, having just come back from an injury, so you can understand the team selection. You can understand why Mustafi was in there. Mustafi had played OK in the last two games. And I think what's what's happened here with Mustafi um, is that he has set the bar so low that any game in which he does not make a calamitous error of some kind is seen as a good performance, mm -hmm. rather than just him doing the fucking job he's supposed to do. Um 
So, yeah, you, there's a little bit of my frustration coming out here. In, sure. in, in the I'm sure we'll get more of that in due course <laughs> as, as we get into the game itself. But I, think, I suppose the other thing to talk about in the starting lineup, a couple of other points. Bern Leno kept his pay, place, yeah. didn't he, uh, with Petr Cech on the bench. So that was, I suppose, a, a sort of a little milestone for him in terms of Cech being available again and him retaining the spot. Yeah. And then the front four, you know, we spoke after the Leicester game. Is this the best front four that we have available? Aubameyang, Ozil, Lacazette and Iwobi. And they were the guys who started, but they never really clicked into gear, did they, that attacking unit? No, I mean, I think to a man, the attacking side of our our performance today was really poor. I mean, I think, I'm just going to look at the stats here. Um, I think Palace had far more shots than we did. Oh, I think we had six shots in the game. I think our XG was less than one. Our XG was probably like minus three. Palace had 16 (laughs) shots, we had seven. They had three yeah. shots on target, our two on target. Um, it, it wasn't a good uh, attacking performance. No. By any stretch of the imagination. And, 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 I mean, they had two pretty decent chances in the first half, didn't they, before their goal in quick succession. Zaha had a shot which, to be fair to Mustafi, he deflected onto the post. And then shortly afterwards, Van Anholt managed to put it wide at the near post. It was when, Townsend, I think. Oh, was it Townsend? It was Andros right? Townsend, was, yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I, I was convinced that was a goal. Do you remember like a, a few years ago, maybe it was at Southampton or something, remember how shallow the goals used to be at the Dell in yeah. Southampton and the ball went in and came back out, it hit the, the advertising hoarding at the back and came back out and they didn't give a goal. I thought that's what happened. I couldn't <laughs> understand how he could possibly have missed from there you know and, and we were going into the the halftime break and I was thinking okay this is another first half where we haven't played anywhere near as well as we can we are lucky to be going in level mm. because they've missed good chances they've missed really good chances to score as much as our our second halves are a common theme to our season. And, you know, we had that little burst today where it looked like we might do the same. The first half is also a a common theme, how poor we are. I mean, do you feel like maybe in some way it's becoming a little bit self-defeating in that the players are going, okay, we're so good in the second halves. The first half, it's not that they're not trying, but like, I don't know if it becomes something of a burden or a weight around your neck when it comes to the performance. You're going, oh, well, okay, look, we're not playing particularly well. Let's just see this half through, get to halftime, and then come out better in the second half. You know, Maybe. I, it's I, a bit less urgency, isn't there, I suppose, yeah. if, you, if you can kind of fall back on that psychologically, this idea that it will all come good <laughs> in the second half. I mean, I was pleased to hear Unai Emery talking about it, you know, earlier in the week and saying, you know, this is not by design. I don't, you know, we need to improve in the first half. Um, but today, we really didn't do that. And I, I think we would have been fortunate, like you say, to get in at level at half-time. I know we had a couple of chances. There was mm. the Lacazette one, which off his left foot, which he put wide, and then yeah. had to Bellerin, who I thought maybe could have done better in that situation. Um, well, after that nice move down the right-hand side, he also had the option of a, a pass to Aubameyang. But... You know, the chances they had to score, they really, you know, probably ought to have taken one. And when the goal did come, it was difficult to... Well, it was it was by a lot of it was our own making, wasn't it? I mean, the defending was not was not. Good. Yeah, I mean, people were, and I think rightly, wondering why Rob Holding wasn't awarded a free kick 
uh, just before the corner because he, he mm. came away from the challenge with his shirt absolutely torn off off his back. You know, it was it was uh, clearly something was going on there. But if the referee didn't see the foul, then uh, you know I don't know what you can do. All you can do is uh, defend the set piece better and we didn't defend I thought actually we were going to get it away Bellerin made an intervention which was going to get it away but talk me through your your view of what Mustafi did it's it's sort of classic Mustafi isn't it and I mean Selhurst Park is a ground where I remember one of his most diabolical performances I think it was in that 3-0 defeat where he's going to ground completely unnecessarily really rose to the the four and it did so mm. again today I mean I can't fathom it because the player's got his back to goal at the point where he decides to throw himself in at it um, it's a panic isn't it, it he panics yeah. basically that can be the only explanation because there's no rational reason to to take that tack when defending so uh, I can't pretend to be surprised because we've seen it so many times I guess I was just kind of exasperated at a return to form for Mustafi. Mm. Yeah, it was absolutely fucking stupid, really. Especially at that point in the game as well. You know, you think players have that sort of subconscious thing of we're close to half time, you know, it's worth being cautious at this point. Anything that happens now could be very costly or change the trajectory of the game. And yet he completely throws caution to the wind in that moment. And there's really there's no I mean, there's no argument, is there? I he mean, should he, go manage a fucking water park because he likes slides that much. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. I mean, he 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 does have a tendency to go to ground in all the wrong situations. I yeah. mean, and we'll come back to it, I'm sure, with Palace's second goal. But sometimes when you actually want him to do it, he, he doesn't, mm. um, and that's the the maddening thing. But inside your own penalty box, six yards out from your own goal, diving in like that, uh, you know. Maybe we should get one of those swimming pool signs that says no diving and just hang it from our goalposts, you know, hang no, it from the crossbar. Yeah, no diving, uh, no bombing. Maybe we could just add an, another little one there. We could put it in front of Unai Emery, no Mustafi. That might be just a better solution. Um, I mean, how much blame did you apportion to the goalkeeper uh, on that goal? A little bit. It wasn't a great, wasn't a terribly convincing effort, no. was it, to come and punch the ball? Uh and that's maybe where Petr Cech has been really good this season. It's been one of the areas where uh, he, he stood out. You know, people talk about him uh, not being as comfortable with the ball at his feet. And I think that's fair. But what he has done is dominated his area. And he's he's commanded his area really well from set pieces. You know, to be fair to Leno, he did all right and has done all right in that regard for the most part since he's come into the team. You know, he has he has uh, claimed crosses and he's, he comes out well to sweep uh, or get down at the feet of attackers. So it was a bit a bit of a bad moment for him. But I just think you you can't legislate for an experienced central defender just sliding straight through the back of a guy in the six yard box. I mean, I've you know, I just don't know what the fuck he was thinking, to be honest. Um no, there's not much more to say about it, really. Yeah. I mean, a decent penalty from them, and and they go in at half time at one nil. And you know, I suppose another blow is you're waiting for maybe a tactical change at half time that we've seen from Embry over the course yeah. of the season. But as it transpires, we lost uh, a player to injury in Hector Bellerin, who has been really, really important for us in recent weeks. And then suddenly you're looking at a team with with Shaka and Licksteiner as the fullbacks, and you know that that does have a big impact, I think. 
What uh, do we know, if anything, about the Hector Bellerin situation? I'm just looking on Twitter here. Oh, hang on. Here's a muscular problem, but hopefully not too serious. Uh, that comes from uh, Matthias Karen uh, of ESPN, who's just tweeted that out. So mm. hopefully nothing too bad. But if it's a muscular problem, it could be a pulled calf, or it could be a pulled hamstring or a groin, something like that. So that's a bit of a worry uh, you know, ahead of Liverpool next week. Because I thought Bellerin was actually really good in the first half. Defensively, I thought he was very good. Switched on, made a couple of good uh, interventions, uh, made a good block on Zaha when Mustafia got roasted. Uh, great header away at the back post, got forward well. You know, I think it would be a real blow to be without Bellerin for, you know, uh, for a little while. Lichsteiner came on, of course, and kicked some people. That was, yeah, you know. I mean, I actually thought he didn't do too badly, you know, with Zaha pulling onto that left flank. I mean, he did it in his own inimitable fashion by just sort of kicking them whenever the opportunity arose. Yeah. Um, but I, I think where we really miss Bellerin actually is going in the other direction. I think yeah. it's become such an important attacking outlet for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm not having a go at Lichsteiner here because what is he supposed to do at 34 years of age against someone like Zaha, who's who's tricky and quick and uh, good on the ball, who could push it past him and run the legs off him? Maybe there was something to the fact that they actually moved him over to the to the right-hand side. Eventually, Xhaka or uh, Lichsteiner just could only play him one way and that was to kick him mm. and foul him and to be cynical and I think I think that's all right and you know you just pray or that a, a couple of the other players had a bit more cynicism in them but okay so we go ahead then Granit Xhaka with a free kick from the edge of the box I was looking at it and I could see I was going he's going to shoot here he's definitely going to shoot and he did and it went in um, fantastic free kick yeah brilliant strike and as he was lining up I sort of had the same feeling as you I kind of fancied him from that angle I feel like his uh, his long range shooting this season particularly from dead balls has been uh, pretty decent and he's, he's looked a threat a number of times and yeah I mean he ran over to Emery afterwards and apparently Emery since said oh we spoke about the, the dead ball situations in the game and I told him to try from the free kicks which is an interesting sort of <laughs> management style isn't it so like try and score a free kick in this half and then yeah. Shaka does it and goes it was, it was you it was all you well telling done, me boss. to do that what a before great that idea. I was going to blast it over the bar um, <laughs> try and score hmm I'd yeah. never considered that <laughs> course of action before but no it, it is a brilliant hit and there is something uh, enjoyable about those strikes that are sort of pure power isn't there um, yeah I don't think it was pure power though I mean he did hit it really well and there was a good bit of power on it but I think there was certainly a, a good bit of precision as well he placed it towards that top corner you know that's where mm. he wanted to put it and he did it wasn't just a do you remember I think Van Persie scored one against Sunderland you know, one of the few free kicks Van Persie actually scored, um, despite his reputation. Maybe I'm doing him a disservice here just because I'm feeling bitter about this game. But anyway, there was one where he just literally hit it as hard as he could. It went in off the underside of the bar. Sunderland, maybe a good few years ago. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of a power hit. It was it was guided with power towards the top corner, I think it would be, it would be fair to say. Yeah, it was a great hit. And actually, I mean... One of the things that I found interesting, I, I don't know if you watched on Sky, I watched on Sky and at half time, yeah. I felt it was quite lazy punditry, surprise, surprise. Um, but Graham Souness sort of said that Arsenal were being bullied in central midfield. And that was not my observation 
of the game at no. all. I actually thought Torreira and Ganduzi, particularly in the defensive aspect of their game, were pretty strong. And yeah. They seemed to be winning a lot of challenges. It seemed to be what was going on in front of them that was the issue. And that free kick came about because of a, a really nice interception from Torreira, who sort of nipped in and won the ball on the edge of the box and was subsequently fouled. And, you know, amidst a disappointing performance, I do think at kind of 19 and 22 or whatever they are, we do have to very very promising players there and I thought there were moments where we saw that again today yeah I thought it was just a good midfield battle between the two sides I don't think we were out muscle there I think our problem was the front four and the front four finding positions in which they could cause some damage you know I don't think Mm. anybody played anybody in that front four played well Um, before we get to the goal you're uh, oh no let's do the goal and then we can talk about the uh, the substitution so the, the second goal Lacazette with a handball, I think it's fair to say it was a handball. But at the same time, his shirt was being pulled off him. I mean, it could have been a penalty the way that the the guy had hold of his shirt if the referee had seen that. So I do wonder what the referee did. Did he say, OK, I'm not going to give a penalty for that, but nor am I going to give a handball for what was clearly a, a handball. And and maybe the, the fact that he was being fouled played into that, although I do think there was an element of him knowing he was being fouled and... and you know, swiping his hand up towards the ball as well. I don't think it was quite as accidental as as some people might think. No, it was almost as if he was kind of, you know, that thing where players do where they get fouled and they kind of instinctively put their hand on the ball to be like, it's my free kick. It was almost like an an aerial equivalent of that. Um, But, you know, well anticipated by Aubameyang, who's dangerous in those back post situations. And I think it was nine millimetres over the line. Nine millimetres, wow. Uh, Yeah, it was a very, very close call but yeah I mean look um, Palace maybe would have felt a bit aggrieved but I agree he was being pulled and you know they said oh it would clear it up with VAR the goal would never have stood but equally VAR would have shown the shirt pull so it's kind of six or one half a dozen the other Um, and at that point you're sort of thinking wow you know, we really are the second half team. We've we've turned it round. We've, you know, we've suddenly found these two goals from nowhere. And you thought that Arsenal would yeah. kick on at that point and kind of seize control of the game. But I mean, I can't remember any real passage of play after our second goal where we looked in control. No, we did not have control. I think that's the key word is control. I think it's something I mentioned in the live blog as well, that we just didn't have any real control since any period of control possession uh, after the second goal. Um, they Was it put a bit reminiscent on. in some ways of the, the Chelsea game, you know, where we sort of, we came back into the game and looked to be in a position to take control of it and then it felt like we sort of almost sat off from that point. Yeah, I don't know if we even sat off, but I think, you know, we talk about Ginduzi and we talk about Torreira um, they're both quite young players and I think Genduzi, I, I thought he was good I thought he had a good performance but it just feels to me in, in games like this where the opposition have put that much pressure on we were lacking somebody in midfield with experience to to just calm the game down a little bit you yeah, know I, 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 I think Genduzi is like a he's a 100 mile an hour player and that's really admirable in many ways everyone likes that about him in that he works hard he runs around he snaps into tackles he's running here there and everywhere but just sometimes you need someone to just slow it down a little bit and to to control things uh you know to 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 stop the momentum of the opposition because they did have momentum 
I know exactly what you mean. He he's someone who ups the tempo, you know, yeah. and that's why he, he's made a great sub on a couple of occasions, like the Leicester game, because when he comes on, he gives like an injection to the midfield. It's almost that Rosicky thing of suddenly the speed of our play increases, but he's not yet at this early stage in his career got that ability to sort of slow things down and really dictate the tempo, you know, and and, and bring it under his control, like a, a Mikel Arteta or somebody like that. Mm. So. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And we, I mean, I suppose that's where the Erzl the substitution becomes interesting because he is a player who, on his day, can help you take control of a game with his passing ability, his movement. You know, he can help dictate the tempo. Were you surprised that he was withdrawn? He wasn't having a, a great game, I think it's fair to say. Ozil. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't having a good game, but it didn't set him apart from anybody else that we have in, in that front four. No. And I was expecting Iwobi to come off, to be perfectly honest. You know, Ozil is the kind of player who can give you uh, a maturity and just that that little bit more time in possession, the ability to slow it down, the ability to keep possession. Uh, I, I think that's where he got one wrong for me. Um, I'm not sure I would have taken Ozil off. Yeah, I mean, I could see a logic to it because at the time, Palace were going a bit more direct, a bit more physical. They brought on Sorloth, who's basically tall, and that's his game. And I wondered if, you know, bringing Welbeck on for Ozil was bringing on someone who was going to give you know a little more pressure when we didn't have possession, uh, who could add a, an aerial element, a defensive set pieces. I could understand it, but I think... Uh, on reflection, my opinion is that taking us off sort of really cost us. And we went to kind of a 4-4-2. Mm. Um, and I, I, I sort of am wrestling with what the logic was there. I am I can't quite see it. You know, at a time when we were in control of the game and the lead of the game, asking Iwobi and Aubameyang to play as wide players in a four uh, with Welbeck and Lacazette up top, it's not, it's yeah. not a switch I understand, really. I think he probably just wanted what he perceives as his hardest working players on the pitch, yeah. or the ones perhaps and, and, more, and more more most able. Athletic, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Most athletic. That's kind of what I mean. More than that, rather than this, uh, the other thing that people might take from that, it's just the ability to stand up to what Palace were going to throw at us. Mm, so it yeah. was. It was a. It was, they were changes made to cope with what Palace were doing, rather than to to change the way we played attack being the best form of defense, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of a thing, you know, we were more or less inviting the pressure. I think that's what, I think that's what it was. So I think, I think, I mean, yeah, there is a, a kind of justification for that. And I suppose the other thing that it theoretically gave you was a uh, real threat on the break. I mean, if uh, four of Iwobi, Aubameyang, Welbeck, Lacazette, in theory, ought to have offered plenty on the break. And there's a, kind of irony about the fact that it was one of those breaks, one of the few breaks that mm. we had that Palace actually ended up scoring from. Yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, yeah, it was I'm Lacazette, just... I think, who sort of picked the ball up on the left after a decent move. Was it at the same move where Welbeck kind of drove through the yeah, midfield? I think it beat was. Beat a couple of players. And it was. It looked encouraging. You know, we had a lot of space on that left-hand side and I think we had an overlap there. Lacazette's touch, I think, just took him a little bit wide and you were looking for him to maybe cross it into the mm. box or just knock the ball back to the fullback. And he played just a... Keep it. 
a really loose pass, wasn't it? Sort of 30 yards in the air towards Torreira in the middle of the yeah. pitch. It was very careless. Uh, I'm just watching the Man United-Everton game as we're talking, and United oh, have been on? given... Oh, 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 fucking hell. United were given the most generous penalty you'll see today, even more so than the, the second one that Palace got, which I thought was a dive. Sure. Uh, just calling it what it is. But uh, whoever, I think it was Martial, the Everton defender got the ball and Martial threw himself to the ground. Fat John Moss gave them a penalty. Pogba steps up, takes it, Pickford saves it, puts a hand out and just directs it straight back into the path of Pogba who puts it into the back of the net for 1-0 to United. So, um, yeah, anyway, leaving those cons aside, what did you make of the, the, the breakdown in play? I think Lacazette is guilty of of just not using common sense in that situation. You know, mm. playing it back, it's like taking a throw-in and throwing it infield, you know, that way. Um, it wasn't I a think, good piece I of play. I think that's who I would have taken off, you know, by the way. Lacazette. Lacazette. I, I, yeah, I just I know he didn't play in the week, and so presumably he was a bit fresher than some of the others, but I thought he didn't have his best game no. uh, against Palace, and I thought maybe Welbeck for Lacazette or... Uh, yeah, I, that would have been my that would have been my change. Um, I, I just, yeah, nothing mm. quite came off for him today. And it, no, I, I spoke about sort of uh, you know echoes of that Chelsea match. I mean, it was it was him again, wasn't it? And on that occasion, who I think gave the ball away and it led to yeah. the, the third goal. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, from that point, you know, as is always the case in these situations, when you concede the ball, you know, deep in the opposition's half, there's a lot else that goes wrong. Uh, yeah. for it to end up in a goal at the other end. Exactly. Well, here's um, what needs to happen this week at the Arsenal training ground. OK, come on then. Stefan Lichsteiner needs to sit down with Skodran Mustafi. And he needs to tell him that in that situation, when we've lost the ball and we've committed men forward and there's, that, there's not long left in the game and there's a guy charging through midfield and maybe you can't get the tackle on the ball, you can certainly tackle the man. You can pull his shirt. You know, remember that one? Who was it? Was it Herrera, Ander Herrera, a couple of seasons ago, where he just literally held on to the shirt of, I can't remember which player it was, but he just held on to the shirt until such time as the guy couldn't run forward anymore and the referee gave a free kick and a yellow card. Mm. Or you can Mm. trip him up, or you can rugby tackle him, or you can do something. You know, this... This is something that we've spoken about before, this idea that we need to be more cynical. And people talk about Zaha cheating and going over for the dive. I get it. It's always annoying when a player goes over, but I want our player to cheat, which is essentially what every player does when they make a foul. You know, unless it's completely accidental, you're making a deliberate decision to stop play or stop an opponent through foul means. That's cheating. It's against the rules is the very definition of it, right? So... uh, Mustafi was in a perfect position there to uh, to make a foul and to stop the danger and to stop them getting towards our box, and he didn't. And I'm not putting all the blame on this uh, goal on Mustafi by any means. I'm just saying that this is where you need to be ultra cynical at all times. Take the foul, take the yellow card near halfway, and then defend. And maybe you'll get caught out from the set piece or whatever, but what doesn't happen is Zaha gets into the box and throws a leg over Xhaka and goes down. That's what yeah. doesn't happen. 
We know that. I'd love to see that conversation at the training ground with Lichtsteiner saying to Mustafi, OK, Squadron, so in some situations, it, you can dive in. And he's just like, yes, Mustafi, dive in, always. And he's like, no, 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 not all the time. Just, just when you're easy. on the halfway line. And he's like, you know, can you imagine trying to explain to Mustafi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when I, when I stamp on your foot and say, yeah. hello, Mr. Thompson, you say hello. OK, <laughs> got it. Hello, Mr. Thompson. Yeah, it's very much that kind of thing. But I, I mean, I, look, I'm watching it back now, actually. And I've, Lacazette, he has the ball on the left-hand side and there are one, two, three, four Arsenal players in the penalty box waiting for a, a potential cross. It's Iwobi, Ramsey, Welbeck and Gendouzi. I mean, you know, it's the perennial problem with Ramsey. If you bring him on, you've got to know he's going to bomb on. He's not someone who's going to sit. He's not going to give you that control necessarily either. Mm. Um, and then when Lacazette plays the back pass to Torreira, he gets the ball uh, taken off him. So then that's uh, six players out of the game. Mm. Now, whether Mustafi needs to do what he does, which is charge you know, into the opponent's half and kind of leave the back four behind. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but having done that, he has to commit the foul. Yeah. And in fact the, fact, the fact that he didn't, it made me go and look and think, oh, was he booked? He must have been booked for the penalty incident, you know, and that's why he didn't. Because that was the only rational explanation I could find for it. But he wasn't booked. He didn't have a yellow card. So, I, I mean, I've got no idea. From that point... It's Zaha one-on-one with Shaka. He's probably licking his lips at that point, thinking I've been mm. waiting for this the whole game. And yes, look, it is a dive. And actually, it's quite a weird one because Zaha's dive makes it look less like a penalty than it probably would have looked. You know, if he if he just runs, he probably hits the thigh anyway, but he yeah. throws himself over it theatrically. He definitely buys it. But I'm kind of with you in that you can't, on the one hand, say, I oh, enjoy the shithousery of Licksteiner and on the other hand be like, well, I, you know, this, I think this is a, a disgrace. You know, you kind of, they kind of come together, don't they? You know, yeah. people bending the rules and um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that one is beyond the pale and one isn't. No, exactly. Um, and look how many times have we had players who have done that, you know, penalties, you know, we, we get morally indignant when players do things against us and absolutely look the other way when our players do it. You know, I yeah. it's just it's just part and parcel of uh, it. So, and on the one hand, I felt a bit sorry for Shaka because I thought over the course of the three games where he's been asked to play at left back, yeah. he's done okay, maybe better than anybody could have anticipated. But on the other hand, in that moment, you see you see what he is. You see he's not full back because as much as it is a dive, you know, he buys the dummy. You know, he stands up, he 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 makes he commits himself a little bit, and it it gives him a problem. I don't, I, I wonder if Monreal might have fared better in that scenario. You'd have to think so. So, listen, I mm. mean, if I'd said to you, we've got to do the entire second half with a back four of Licksteiner, Mustafi, Holding and, and Xhaka, you probably would have thought, well, at some point that might cost us. Yeah. Um, it, it did. Yeah, it did. It did, it did. I mean, it, I do, it does make me wonder about what we've got at youth level at left back. Um, if we're playing mm. Granite Xhaka there. And like you, I think he, he did play well, uh, you know, all things considered, considering it's really a position which requires a bit of mobility that Xhaka doesn't necessarily have. You know, he does, he's a bit slow on the turn, 
uh, it's fair to say. So I think in general, uh, just looking on the Arsenal website here, an interesting quote from from Xhaka uh, on a, asked about the penalty. He says, uh, it's difficult. I think it's a clear penalty because I touched his knee, so the referee gave a penalty. Now, maybe it's just him saying not saying anything that's going to get himself into trouble, but uh, but interesting all the same. Um, yeah, you know. I think, he, I think he knows he's been done, basically. I mean, yeah. it's... It, Yes, the player dives, but you know, I think, well, I think we were in trouble in that situation. Whatever happened, um, yeah. Look, it's it's annoying to drop two points, but I don't think, on the basis of what we saw from Arsenal today, overall in terms of the team performance, individual performances, the manager's performance, I don't think we can complain too much. Do you? I mean, do you think it no. could be? It could be the kind of day or the kind of performance that just brings about a little bit of consolidation on the training ground and perhaps ahead of a game against Liverpool next weekend. It's not necessarily the worst thing in the world just to take stock again and to think about what we're doing and how we're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think we're probably due this result. Yeah. You know, we've, we've scraped a couple of wins where we haven't played well at all. Eventually, that's going to catch up with you. My feeling about this game was just not enough of our big players turned up you know there were there weren't enough good performances out there for us to to win this game and on reflection I think there were probably dodgy goals for both sides but I thought draw was probably a fair result and I, I do think you know it's it injects a little bit of of realism it shows we've still got a way to go yeah you know we're not going to just steamroll our way through the rest of the season certainly not but I also don't think it's particularly a, a cause for despair you know I, I think we've got to bear in mind the the fixture list we faced in this period some of the trips that we've had to do yeah. and I think when you when you step back from it we all would have absolutely taken uh, the sequence of results that we've had so yeah um I, yeah I think that's basically it really. yeah one one draw in a London derby away from home after our what third game in in six days you know, we played Monday, Thursday, Sunday, so it's not like even we'd Saturday, uh, Thursday. You know, there was it's a very short period of time, so we played basically three games in six days. So, uh, you know, on that basis, I think we can be a little bit disappointed with the fact that we we, we lost a, a winning position, but um, all things considered, I think it's an okay result in the context, uh, you know, the odd draw here and there away from home is not not a bad result, you know. Um, when you take the take the emotion out of it, we've had what? Uh, let's see, thirty six minutes to to discuss it and calm down a little bit. So so that's where we are. That's it. I mean, think of you know the invincible season. There were plenty of draws in there. Twelve. You know, some t- twelve of the cunts. Yeah. So you have to know that in the Premier League, especially on the road, you know sometimes you're going to take a point. And yeah, I, I think genuinely, you know. You, that's that's no bad thing. No. That's no bad thing. No. Uh, and uh, to be honest, it's it's almost difficult to argue that we warranted a point today. You know, we mm. we weren't good, and Palace might feel like this could have been their day, and it wasn't. So I'm I'm choosing to kind of suck some of the positive out of that. Yeah, exactly. We were bad, but we still got a point. So let's yeah, let's take that as the positive from the day uh, and hope we can be better in our, our next game which of course is Liverpool next weekend right we'll take a break we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Thank you for all the questions about Shkodra and Mustafi. Uh, there's some uh, creative swearing in there today, folks, that I think you should all be proud of. Uh, I think we've covered Mustafi well, well enough, though. In the we ask the questions sooner than we normally do as well, I suppose. So, you know, yeah. there's emotion in them, too. We, we ask for questions, not necessarily statements telling us what you would like to do with Mustafi and where you would put his body. So, uh, but thanks for those numbers. Yeah, we, we appreciate that all the same. But look, I'm going to kick off here, and we have a question from Scott. Scott Willis, who is at oh, that, uh, oh underscore that underscore crab, who does the uh, by the numbers piece for us on Arsblog News. You'll hear him on the Arsblog or the Arsenal Vision uh, podcast as well. Uh, and he wants to know, why is Iwobi bad on the right but good on the left? Yeah, I saw this question. It's an interesting question. I mean, I feel like I said on a recent podcast that Iwobi had been a bit better on the right of late. I think there'd been a couple of moments where he... Um, maybe it was late on in games as a sub where he'd come in on the right and done OK. Uh, perhaps Leicester was one of those occasions. I can't quite think now. Mm. But... Um, I do agree that for the most part he is superior on the left-hand side. Uh, now, as for why that is, I mean, is it just that some players are, are better on one flank than the other? I feel like this idea that a winger should be able to play both sides is sort of a relatively modern idea. You know, Robert Perez, he did play on the right, but he was never nearly as good on the right as he was on the left. Same with um, Freddie. When yeah. Freddie was played on the left from time to time, it didn't didn't work as well for him as it did from the right. Yeah, and I think it's it's down to several things. I mean, I think for Perez and I think for Iwobi too, it's partly about the fact that they're opening out uh, as they cut inside onto their stronger foot. Yeah. Um, they as they turn inside, they maybe have a, a different view of the game. You know, they it might suit their sort of peripheral vision more the way that they open out and they get a better view of the pitch. And it can just be also experience. You know, if he's spent more of his career playing there, he might have more of an inherent understanding of what positions to take up from that flank. And also relationships with players. You know, if the left back, you know, is someone that you combine well with, and I think when Monreal's fit, Iwobi does combine pretty well with him, that can help too. So I kind of think it shouldn't really be a surprise that a player has a, a best position. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't uh, think the, pro- the problem is, what do you then do with that? You know, if his best position is the left and his form dictates that he plays, what do you then do? Because you've also, you've got Aubameyang to consider. So that's sort of where you run into the issues, isn't it? Yeah, maybe you get a player so good for the right-hand side that, you know, when Iwobi isn't playing on the left, he doesn't play. Mm. You know? I mean, he's been in good form, actually, this season, Iwobi. I think he's improved, but primarily it's come from the left-hand side. I mean, I, I think it's just something as simple as, as what you said there, that his best position is from the left-hand side, or that's certainly where he is better um, between those two positions. You see it with central defenders. Some players like to play on the left-hand side of a cent- uh, the centre-halves, some like to play on the right, just yeah. because that's where they feel most comfortable or where they feel they're better. So... Uh, yeah, it's not it's not anything um, that's a big secret or a big it's mystery. Though, I, I feel like people, uh, and I include coaches in this, are sort of more willing to shift people about in the attacking third of the pitch. You know, like arguably the reason Rob Holding is starting week after week is because he is the most comfortable left-sided centre-half mm. that we have. Um, and But, you know, in the front four... You might see Henrik Mkhitaryan or Alex Iwobi or Mesut Ozil or Aaron Ramsey played in kind of any number of positions. I mean, but it doesn't mean they won't be better in one. We saw that with Ozil against Leicester, how much better he was at number 10 than he's been on the right. And Iwobi is is just more comfortable on the left. Yeah. Um, and it does raise questions of, well, if he's not going to play on the left, does he play? You know, yeah. it's, I mean, the balance of that front four you know, is is one of Emery's big challenges, really. He's got yeah. a lot of big talent to contend with there, but making it functional is is the issue. I mean, I, I, Aubameyang I, on the right-hand side is something we haven't seen at, at all, really. And, you know, perhaps that would be worth a go at some stage. Well, I mean, um, the other thing coming back to it is, you know, again, I know he scored. Uh, he didn't have a great game, though, Aubameyang, but he did score again from the left-hand side. So I'm wondering, you know... Is it just simply his prowess in the box that allows him to rise above the fact that he's being played in a position which really doesn't suit his game or suit his qualities? In which case, we really have to give him a huge amount of credit for the goal-scoring record that he's had since he's joined the club and the amount of games he's actually played as our central striker, which must be, what, just a handful? Really? You know, uh, this is more than half a dozen. This, I mean, this we we go from week to week, don't we? Where we think, okay, he's cracked it, he's found the combination, or he's found the way uh, to make it happen, or found the right way to uh, to get the best out of these players that he has. But uh, you have a performance like today where Aubameyang was just, you know, he he scored, but really wasn't great. I know it's true of Lacazette, I know it's true of Iwobi, I know it's true of Ozil, but. I think the longer you play a player out of his best position, the the more it's going to affect the team or it's going to affect the player. Well, I, th- I think uh, what's interesting about his goal today as well is it came from a set piece, right? So it's got nothing to do almost with his starting position. He probably would have taken up that position from a corner, irrespective of whether he was the, the centre forward or the left winger. Um, I do think he deserves massive credit for the goal return that he's producing. Yeah. And the graphic came up on Sky. It's something like a goal every... 103 minutes, which I think is the best in Premier League history, you know, which is astonishing. I mean, he's ahead of the likes of Kane, Aguero, Henri. And look, he's padded his numbers a bit by coming on as a sub and scoring twice, but he still had to come on as a sub and score twice on a couple of occasions. So I think we need to acknowledge 
what a tremendous predatory instinct he has and what fantastic finishing ability. I I had a question, actually, a little yeah. bit about this, which was from Cafocino, who's at Cafocino1. And, and they asked, do you think Lacazette is to Emery what Ozil was to Wenger? He had a stinker today. He was not that great versus Leicester, but he gets the nod ahead of Aubameyang, who's been on fire all season. And what that made me think was not so much that Lacazette is is uh, the Ozil uh, of Emery, but he's almost the Giroud, which is funny because he sort of came into a place as Giroud and we regarded him as a very mm. different kind of striker. But his role is increasingly similar in that he is the guy that the team seem to play better with him as the centre forward. You know, he seems like a, a necessary player for function. He's kind of the pivot. He's the, the link man who has made himself sort of indispensable as that starting centre forward. When you've got a potential alternative in Aubameyang there, it's a really difficult one for Emery. What do you, what's your thoughts about it? I, I just think Lacazette's form has been good, so he's kept his place in the team. And yeah. now his form hasn't been that good, and I do wonder what might happen with the team's team selection. Um, I don't think it's a case that he's a favourite or, or anything like that. I just think he's played no. well, and the team has played well with him around him, and he's worked hard, and he does work hard. Um, and also, I, I can't remember too many games, and granted he's not had loads of chances, where Aubameyang has played centre-forward and produced such an astonishing performance that I thought... Well, this man must simply play centre forward forever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's and because it, he's never really that sort of player. You know, he's not someone who he's kind of a guy who turns up in the crucial moments. You know, and mm. and scores the goals, but he's not someone who leads the line in that conventional sense. Yeah, and he's playing Obama Yang up front against Sporting, for example. I think he played him up there, didn't he, against Carabag? Did he play him up front? Yes, there? I think he did, and I think he may have even. Yeah, yeah, he did play him against Carabao. Uh, or, or certainly Vorskler he played, yeah. he? and he scored twice in the home game. But he's not playing with the, you know, supposed first eleven. No, exactly. And I think this is, I think this is an issue. To be, to be honest, I think it is uh, an ongoing issue with Aubameyang. We are playing. Uh, you know, we can talk uh, around the reasons why it's happening. We all know that. He's trying to find his front four and his balance or front three, whatever it might be. But he is playing one of Europe's best strikers out of position week in, week out, as Arsene Wenger did. Maybe there's something that we don't know about Aubameyang that they see in training that makes them think, you know, he, he can't do that job. But, you know, everything he did for Dortmund and the goals he scored for them, and you wonder why is it that he's being played or not being given a run of games at centre-forward for Arsenal. Well, can, can I venture that we kind of know what those things are that he can't do, which is that he can't really win an aerial challenge or receive the ball with his back to goal. Mm. And for whatever reason, it feels like Arsene Wenger and Unai Emery agree on the fact that those are necessary qualities for a centre-forward in this team. Well, not even necessary, but useful qualities. Um, in this team or in this league? Well, I think... Well, I think both, yeah. But I think the fact that it's this league is is definitely a factor within that. I mean, mm. you know, Aubameyang is brilliant at running off the shoulder, finding space in the box and finishing clinically. He's not a guy who can hold the ball up and bring others into play. And maybe when you've got people attacking from deeper positions like Alex Awobi, like Meza Ozil, like, funnily enough, Aubameyang when he plays from the left or Danny Welbeck, 
you need a centre forward who can provide that kind of pivot for mm. um, Yeah. It's yeah. a tricky one, though, isn't it? Because we have got the arguably the most sort of prolific goals per minute striker in the Premier League uh, not playing in his best position. Mm. Yeah. Look, it's when we're winning games, we can not overlook yeah. it, but as soon as we don't, it becomes an issue or it becomes not necessarily a stick to beat him with, but it becomes a, a talking point again, you know? Uh, maybe the wider context of this game was that uh, nobody in the front four played particularly well. So perhaps the issue was further back, uh, which brings me to this question from Callum White, who is at Callum underscore GU. He says, hi, guys. I think Torreira has been lights out for us. I presume that's a good thing. Um, and is making a huge difference. I would, lights out has got to be bad, No. Come on, boys, lights out. You're in your dormitory or you've got to go to your cell and it's lights out in prison. You're in prison. Anyway, I think he is saying it's a good thing. But he says, how do you rate his contribution so far? Controversial idea, though. Is the team suffering from not being able to play the Torreira-Jaca midfield partnership? So the fact that we have to play Xhaka, a left back, takes away something from the way we can control the game in midfield. Going back to what we were talking about in the first half of the show. In short, yes, I think it does. I mean... I, I like the idea, and I quite like the reality of Torreira and, and Gunduzi as a partnership. But you know, we spoke about maybe leaving Özil on because he's someone who helps you exert control. It was remiss of me not to mention Granite Xhaka, um because mm. that is something that he can really do. You know, he can dictate the play with his passing, and uh, I thought we we probably really missed that in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, straightforwardly. Mm. He he was a miss in that area. I mm. agree. Barcelona have just scored their fourth goal against Real Madrid. It's four one. Mistake have by they sacked their manager yet? So, not yet, but I imagine it's coming pretty <laughs> soon. I think Mister uh, Lopetegui will be looking for a new job. Um, He's had a, f- a funny old few months, hasn't he? He really has. What a nightmare. Anyway, uh, so uh, this question was from. AFC David, who's at Dave P seven zero one, and Dave says, "Are we paying the price energy wise for fielding such strong teams in the cups?" Maybe, maybe. I don't know what we were supposed to do against Sporting. You know, this is a, a good team, a team that had won or not lost at home for thirteen months. Mm. Our most difficult game in the Europa in the League group. group stage. We had to play a relatively strong team. And we don't really have that much depth, do we? Beyond the the first team squad that we have, you, you know, know? This, it's not as if there's a clutch of young players who are like, obviously they should play. I mean, beyond sort of Eddie and Ketia and Joe Willock and Smith Rowe, Smith Rowe, kind of yeah, struggling maybe to to name them. So. I actually have quite enjoyed seeing the stronger sides in the cups, and I think it will be advantageous to us that we've effectively put that group to mm. bed already you know we can maybe rest players a little bit further down the line against you know when we go to Vorskler and make trips like that um, so I I don't I think that we were a bit unfortunate weren't we with the fixture list this week I, yeah. because it was our our hardest European trip uh, in terms of the the quality of the opposition and three games in the space of six days yeah I think that's a big factor yeah I really do. I think we've been a little bit unfortunate in that regard. You know, you can play a strong team. He has tried to change things around a bit. He did rotate for for the game on Thursday in Lisbon. He rotated again today. Um, We don't have any left-backs, which is unfortunate. That's another factor. Both uh, Monreal and Kolasinac injured. So, 
uh, Bellerin goes off injured again today. Uh, someone who would make a real difference to us from an attacking point of view down that right-hand side. So we were inhibited. The Xhaka Torreira thing, I think, is a really good point. You know, when we talk about not having control in midfield, I, I think it's all of that. The accumulated fatigue of those three games in six days, not a great performance overall. So um, few injuries, yeah. Few it, injuries. it all adds up. Yeah. Uh, with that in mind, I mean, I think we said at the end of part one, our next game is Liverpool. It is, of course, uh, on Halloween night mm. in the uh, the Carabao Cup, isn't it, against uh, Blackpool? Yeah. Do, do you think maybe we might see a bit more rotation in that yeah. game than we have seen? I think we will. I think we have to. Mm. Again, though, you know, you look at what what exactly can we do? We've only got three central defenders. We still defenders. haven't got any left backs. We yeah. still haven't got any left backs, and we've only got three central defenders. Um, you know, I'd quite happily play Mustafi against Brentford if it means he's not going to play uh, against Liverpool. So you've got that. You've got Czech maybe to come in. Licksteiner can continue on the right-hand side. Maybe they could play a young central defender, but it all depends what we've got at, at left-back. Granit Xhaka, don't want to see him anywhere near the team on Wednesday night. I think he needs a rest. You know, he's somebody who's played... Did they see, show a stat today? He's played every Premier League game or the last 60 Premier League games or something like that. It's... Uh, I think he has so, been ever present yeah. in the Premier League, certainly this season. It's been a it's been a long, long run for him. So in midfield, what can you do? You've got Ginduzi, you can play Ramsey in there, you can play Awobi, you can play Mikatarian, uh you can play Smith Rowe. I think you have to bring in a couple of young players for this particular game. You've got to play uh you've got to give some guys a rest ahead of Liverpool. You know, mm. I don't want to see necessarily Aubameyang playing up front against Brentford. That's not no, where Danny I want to Welbeck, see. If you want. Danny Welbeck, of course. Eddie Nketiah as well. You know, so let's try and use a little bit of the squad. That's uh, Maitland-Niles maybe could be in line uh, for a start because he's he's gone through the um, he's gone through the under twenty three game and he's got some minutes under his belt and he's he's back in full training. Maybe Cassiano even five one Barcelona. Dude is getting fired before the end of the... Ooh, nasty. Yeah. Who scored that one? I think it's Vidal. Um, I mean, Blackpool are 12th Brentf- in... Is it, it's Blackpool, is it? It's Blackpool. Did I say Brentford, Brentford already? Sorry. We beat Brentford already. That's it, yeah. Sorry. It's Blackpool who are 12th in League One. So you'd have to think you might be able to get away with fielding the likes of Nketiah, yeah. Smith-Rowe, giving these guys some experience. Uh you know, we went to Coventry, didn't we, and played, admittedly, under strength, Coventry side, who are mm. comfortably above Blackpool in the... I forget what that tournament's even called. <laughs> um, uh, the the Checker Trade. Checker Trade, exactly. Yeah. And we beat them comfortably with Smith-Rowe starring. So you'd think this would be a stage, especially at the Emirates, where he might get another chance. Um, I, I think we need to rest some legs for yeah. this one, and I think we should still... Of course, have enough to to see off Blackpool. It's, it's and- yeah, it's one of those where you really, you know, where they say you've got to take it one game at a time, and our, our focus is on the next game. Our focus yeah. has got to be on the the Liverpool game because I agree. you know I I'd like us to win against Blackpool, and I think we probably can win with a with a weakened team, but we can't do anything that might hamper our ability to get a good result against Liverpool on Saturday because A, they're very strong. B, if we give Liverpool the kind of chances that we give Palace or gave Palace today, they'll score and, you know, it just becomes a a much more difficult job. So, yeah, we really, we, oh my goodness, nearly, nearly six. Um, 
we really have to keep an eye on on that particular game. So go young, go fringe, go whatever you need to do um, with the game against Blackpool on Wednesday. I do wonder if Emery will take that competition relatively seriously as, as, as we get further into it, maybe. There's a bit of a history of managers coming over from Europe and kind of looking to, mm. to try and win that one early, you know, to try and make a, a positive impression. We'll see. I, maybe, maybe. But, but he's I mean, got be... a lot to contend with with the Europa League already. Or, or, or this could be six. I'd love it to be six. It's no? not six. <laughs> it should have been six. Oh my goodness! He should have. He should have. Uh, he should have crossed it. He went for. How a long shot. is there to go? Uh, just a minute. Where we're heading to ninety minutes now. Heading to wow. ninety minutes. Suarez hat trick. Yeah, he should. Have, he was clean through, and he had. I think he had Suarez. Would have been Suarez outside him, but he went for a shot. You can't blame him. Five one. He's clearing down on goal. He might as well. Um, okay, right. I've got a couple of questions here about the left back situation, which I'll, I'll read you. If that's go on right. then. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first one is from Dan Bell, who simply says, with being forced to play Shaka at left-back, is a January left-back purchase the number one priority? Mm-hmm. And then Nathan Wagner says, with the emergence of young talent in midfield, should Maitland-Niles focus all of his training on left-back for our present and also the long-term future? No and no. No and no. No okay. and no. I don't think left-back should give be... Give some reasons. Well, um... Oh, Madrid just missed a sitter. Okay, number one, we've got two left-backs. We're unfortunate at the moment in that they're both injured, Mm. but I don't think a left-back... You can't accuse us of not having enough depth at left-back. What you could say is maybe we don't have somebody young coming through at left-back, and that could be an issue. So that's something for Per Mertesacker to sort out uh, and the academy people, you know, to try and identify somebody there who can provide that extra little bit of depth. But you've got two internationals. At left back, the unfortunate thing for us is that they're both injured. You go and buy a left back in January, and you've got too many left backs. Now, come the summer, I think it's an area that we should be looking at very strongly. I don't think Kalasinac has worked out. I don't no. think it's not. I can't predict with absolute certainty that it's not going to work out. But he he's not a player who fills me with a great deal of confidence. Um, I think he's injured too often. And I think for the way that Unai Emery wants to play, I'm not saying it's easy to to go out and get another Hector Bellerin, but a player with more of those qualities is what we should be looking for uh, ahead of next next season, right? I think it's easier to do that in the summer. So that's... Well, does not sound like a man with a huge amount of time for the January transfer window, no. if you read his recent interview. I did, I did indeed. Um, so he set the expectations low for January, it's fair to say. Yeah. The, the other question about Maitland-Niles, should he be a left-back? No, he's not a left-back. He's a guy, he's a young midfield player who did an okay job there, thrown in by a manager who was willing to try anything, really, to to get his team to perform in his final season in charge. I don't think Ainsley Maitland-Niles should ever play left-back unless it's an absolute emergency. Like, if he were fit at the moment, he could have played there today rather than Xhaka, that kind of a thing. But I don't see any good reason why he should retrain to be a left-back when he's uh, you know he's got the potential to be a good think- midfielder. I think he has got the potential to be a midfielder, but I also think he's got a lot of interesting qualities as a fullback. But I would probably say more as a right back yes. than a left back. Yeah, I, I just think you know you don't see many 
top class wrong footed fullbacks. There have been some, I know. I know that, you know, I don't know. Arbeloa played for Madrid, didn't he, as a left back when he was right footed and things like that. But you don't see too many of them. So I, I think I'd be interested to see him at right back but not as left-back. And as for the chance window, yeah, I mean, look, we've got two left-backs, but one is uh, quite old and one is not really a left-back. I'm not... I've never been convinced by Kolasinac in a back four. Mm. So it's definitely an area that needs addressing. And, you know, when Raul Sanye talks that interview about we're not going to let players run down their contracts anymore, decisions will be made two or three years from the end of a player's deal... Well, it's approaching decision time on Kolasinac then, isn't it, come the summer? So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was moved on and, and we brought in a, a new left-back because it is an area where we could do with an upgrade. Yep, I agree. I agree. I've got a question here from... Bum, 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 bum. It is from... Oh, where the hell's it gone? Oh, it's Zachary Beanhacker or Beinhacker on Facebook. And he says, was Mesut Ozil's reaction to being subbed off warranted? Yeah, I had the same a question from Manny Rajbagat saying, should we read into Ozil's reaction? Uh, I think that his frustration was probably as much with himself as anything else. Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't. Is that being generous? <laughs> I think it was with, with the decision, to be honest. But, I mean, he, yeah. Well, look, I, I listen, I, I think that, I quite enjoy having a manager who is prepared to sub Mesut Ozil when he feels it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. But as discussed, maybe this wasn't the best example of it. Um, although I think that it was possible to bring Ozil off and arrange the team in such a way that, you know, we had a bit more control than we ultimately did. Yeah, I, I'm not that bothered by it, really. I mean, the only thing I think that's maybe a little bit disappointing about it, and maybe this is sort of strangely, oddly sentimental from me, but it wasn't... A captain's response. <laughs> Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, yeah, yeah, in that look, role, you'd like to think the needs of the team go first sort of thing, and it was, a, it was very much a moment of sort of self-indulgence. Sure, sure. Look, I prefer a player, if he's taken off, to be unhappy about being taken off rather than just, you know, accepting of his, of his lot. Um, yeah, and players, you know, people always say he's not demonstrative enough as always well, doesn't show any emotion or passion. Well, we saw some today. I mean, I do think it's interesting, isn't it? He came off this absolutely sensational performance on Monday night and we're all, you know, drooling over what we've seen from him on the pitch. And then we go to an away game. It's a little bit of a different type of match. He can't really get a foothold. And you see kind of the other side of the player, you know, and I do think that, you know, we've had Ozil long enough to kind of know and understand now that there are going to be days like that and there are going to be days like this. I don't think it's... It's sort of feast or famine sometimes with him. Sure. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, do you have any other questions? I don't know, actually. Let's Maybe have I have look. one here. Let me have a quick look. Uh, I've, I'm Chris out, Garman says, Defenders aside, do we need a Zaha? I mean, listen, he won't be the most popular man among the Arsenal fans, will he? He haven't gone over to win a penalty today, but I uh, I do think he's a really dangerous player. I don't know whether he would get the same licence with a big club that he gets with Palace. You know, all their play kind of is directed through him and he's so the talisman for them and it does seem to suit him. But I think, you know, I, I think it's a matter of time before a top, top six club mm. 
takes him on. I know it didn't work out at United, but he was a kid then and he's he's dangerous. And I, I, that is the type of forward player that I do... I would be interested to see us sign. We talked about it in the summer. Someone who can bring width, speed, skill. You know, the kind of winger that Aubameyang's pretending to be uh, yeah. would be would be useful. So whether or not it's Zaha or whether... I, I get the feeling, again, talking about what we're hearing from the club and the, the expectations being managed, I get the feeling that he's not necessarily within our our budget you know I feel yeah. like we might be shopping a tear down from that as a uh, Europa League team yeah yeah I mean I think it was a couple of things that were quite clear from the interview with Sanyehi and and uh, Vinay Venkatesham was that the target for this season is Champions League football again however yeah. we achieve it that's what they're looking for to get back either into the top four or to get in there via the the Europa League so um until we do, I think we are going to be somewhat restricted in terms of the kind of player that we can bring in and the kind of money that we're going to spend. So, um, yeah, it's like you know, I, I, I think I made a sort of passing comment on Twitter during the Leicester game uh, that I like the look of uh, Ben Chilwell, their young left. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think he's a really exciting young player. He's done really well for England in this couple of caps, and he was pretty good. Uh, he's somebody we were us. looking at. He is someone we were looking at, but then someone, I think, replied to me on Twitter and said, well, he's an England international and he's just on a six-year contract. So, and, and, you know, you have to wonder, you know, does that mean that a player like that is beyond our means? Or, or at least that if we wanted them, it would be at the expense of something else, you mm. know? Um, so, we, you know, we are kind of relying on uh, on Sven Mislintat's scouting network. And to be fair to him... You know, it looks like the work he did in the summer has been pretty decent. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll need. It looks like we might need more of the same. We need a a left back Mavropanos kind of, kind of a thing. Is that it? Yeah, a left back Gunduzi would be nice, yeah. wouldn't it? Just very finally, just want to ask you. I mean, you you read the piece obviously uh, that Amy did in the uh, Observer today, yeah. with uh, with Raúl and Vinny and uh, and everything else. What did you make of the idea of the Arsenal executive committee having their own WhatsApp group? That <laughs> that made me laugh. I have to say because you think about. I'm just trying to imagine Peter Hillwood and Sir Chips in their WhatsApp group. You know, for, the world has changed, hasn't it, a lot since we've... I know. A lot we... of transfer business is done over WhatsApp, you know. It's a surprising amount. I mean, in terms of, like, the sort of the go-betweens and the negotiations and the, the ins and outs, it's, you know, it's a universal form of communication now. Yeah. I don't know how many emojis are being deployed in these WhatsApp conversations, <laughs> you know, by by uh, by the likes of Sir Chips. But, yeah, it's... Um, well, listen, I, I found it an interesting read. It's... Telling, isn't it, that they had invited a number of journalists in to that kind of sanctum to to hear from them? It's clear that there's um, there's a consistent uh, message, isn't there? Whether it's uh, yeah. how scripted it is, or maybe you want to think about it being scripted or not. But yeah, I, I, and I think that there is a, an attempt at being more open, certainly, uh, and trying to open those lines of communications and, and indirectly communicate with fans. And I'll tell you what, I mean. It seems almost silly to say, but one thing I took out of it was it doesn't massively sound like Ivan Gazidis is going to be missed in that WhatsApp group. You know, well, I mean, that's because of- we've got, at the moment, we've got two Gazidises for the price of one. They're all they're saying the same things Gazidis has said 
you know, yeah, down the true. down the years. So I mean, what what we have to hope for is that there's a bit more substance to to these guys than there has been to Gazidis because you know he's the master of saying a lot, talking a lot, but saying very little, or saying a lot and doing very little, maybe you know, in terms of in terms of end product or or what have you. So hopefully, you know, these guys are really uh, are better. That's why I'm getting out. Hopefully they're Hopefully just they're better. as good as their word, exactly. And I, I think change is often good. You know, every generation is good. The fact that they're new, you know, they will want to establish them themselves and enhance their reputation. And hopefully that will be for the, the collective benefit. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, ultimately they're restricted, aren't they, by what what they're allowed to do. Yeah, they're not the real power brokers, are they? In no. Situation. You know, and that, that's why Champions League football is so important, isn't it? You know, we have to get back into the top four if we want to spend money on, on players. That's something Sanyehi said. We have to make mm. Arsenal a prestigious destination for players again. And that's not what we are right at the moment. Um, but, you know, things can change pretty quickly. So um, maybe they can all get on the WhatsApp and, uh, you know do that thing we go back to that uh we go back to remember a few well a few months ago we were talking about the the options you have you know when you mute a whatsapp group and, oh, yeah. and your options are eight, eight <laughs> yeah me too eight hours a week and like a year i think are the the options that you have so hopefully stan <laughs> doesn't mute them for a year all of a sudden he figures out there's all this kind of uh, important business that he's missed yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what had happened over the past few seasons. He, he just has had the WhatsApp group on mute. Uh, <laughs> God damn, I really wanted to give them some money for a new player, but I, know, geez, I just yeah. never got the message. Didn't realise how bad things had got. <laughs> All called. right. All right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. It is Sunday evening. It's a bank holiday here in Ireland, and there are things to be done on a bank holiday evening which involve me uh, drinking beer. So... I think we'll we'll leave it there. Enjoy. I Have will. A good bank holiday. I, I will do my best. I will do my best. We will be back with an Arsecast on Friday, of course, uh, looking ahead to the Liverpool game at the weekend. So I'll be chatting mm. to the Mug Smasher, among other people. Uh, so join us for that. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.